In the great halls of USA Today, we assemble the newsroom's mightiest nerds. Brett Molina. I'm so sorry for the producer of this podcast. <laughs> Kelly Lawler. I will fight you on it. Brian Truitt. Spoiler town! <laughs> Together, they form The Mothership. Their mission? To harness their collective encyclopedic knowledge of nerdiness in all its forms. To dissect every trailer, plot twist, and game released for the geekiest of fans. The Mothership, saving the universe from bad comic book adaptations every Friday. All aboard the Mothership, the Geek Culture Podcast from the USA Today Network. Thank you so much for joining us, and happy Friday, everybody. Happy Friday. Happy Memorial Day weekend. I know. <laughs> Fire up the barbecue. Uh, let's meet the crew. Although, I don't know if we could fit a barbecue in the Mothership, but we'll see. Um uh, we, we, our ship is large. That's true. Yeah. It's got it's it's got it's got um j- we got junk in our trunk, so we can we can we can put some <laughs> barbecues and some other stuff in there. Uh, the new slogan for the mothership: We got junk in the trunk. Uh, let's <laughs> got junk in the trunk. <laughs> let's meet the crew. I'm Brett Molina. I play video games, and what's getting me through this week is I actually uh, watched uh, some of the new season with my daughter of High School Musical: The Musical: The Series. And it's really cute. And it got me through the week because, you know, it's a fun show. I think it's a nice kids show. It also got me through the week because I discovered my daughter is a gigantic Olivia Rodrigo stan. And it's kind of hilarious because (laughs) she is she not only, you know, likes her show and she likes her music and everything else. But then I guess apparently she also very much doesn't like the lead actor on the show because I guess they date in real life or they were and then they broke up and. She's very much into that, and the whole time we're watching, she just kept yelling how trashy is and blah blah blah. And I'm just like, <laughs> "What the hell is happening?" But wow, it was hilarious, and I enjoyed watching it. And it was just, I, the show is fine. I, I did like it. It wasn't just for watching my daughter, kind of you know, throw her un, un, unwavering support for Olivia Rodrigo, but. Um, the show itself is very fun, but that part of it really got me. It's uh, hilarious. Yeah, I mean, I I had no idea. Who, I still don't know who Olivia Rodrigo is, but I know there's like some drama with the show. There's like a driver's license involved or something. I don't. I don't even know. Because um, I'm my my daughter's eight, so she has, she hasn't gotten to the point of like paying attention to the internet <laughs> and what's going on with people's lives yet. It's fascinating when they get older. It feels like they start to tune into that stuff a lot more, and then to see it like play out is in their little kid brain is kind of hilarious. Yeah, I'm not looking forward to that. Although you know, it's funny that like, and it was weird, and I don't know how she did it, but like, she was doing something, and like she was agreeing with me, and she's like, "That's the ticket." I'm like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> I'm like, "Where are you getting?" Like nineties live catchphrases. I didn't know your daughter was John Lovitz. That's really I impressive. Know. I was like, I'm like, I don't use that. So where did you get? Where did you even get that? And she used it in proper context too. So it, I just it kind of blew my mind a little bit. Uh, I'm Brian Truitt. I watch movies. And what's getting me through this week is um, waiting on pins and needles for the uh, seventh and final episode of Mayor of Easttown, which is I, I, I can't I can't remember if we've mentioned it on the show before if Kelly has, but it's the it's the new HBO um, show with Kate Winslet as a detective. Um, it's really it's it's quite good. Um, you know, a lot real twisty. 
Kate Winslet's good. You know, it's all everybody's got like Delco accents or tries to have Delco accents. Um, you know, they they go down to the Wawa and, and whatnot, um, have hoagies, and so. But it's it's really good. I mean, like every episode like has like a nice little cliffhanger without like being like an overt cliffhanger. Um, but it's it, but it's gotten really twisty like later in the season. So and like everybody who we thought was the killer might not be the killer now and so like so and then the final season the final episode is on sunday and my wife is is bugging me about like she's like do we have a screener yet do we have a screener yet do you have a screener yet i'm like no so we're gonna have to wait we're gonna have to wait for it um so yeah that's what's getting me through this week is just keeping her calm is there an actual cameo by a wawa in the show I think there was a hoagie at some point. I think there was a blah blah mention at some point, but it's more about like you know the sad there's the sad live murder dirter um, sketch kind of like it played off of that. It was into that, but yeah, I don't think any Wawas were like were visited in the making. Oh, they're probably in the making of the show. Probably were, but like I don't think there's been any actually in the show. Oh, fingers crossed it happens at some point. Um, True. If this is <laughs> the Wawa guy did it, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> did it with a hoagie in the forest. <laughs> I thought that stuff only happened in sheets. What's going on? Um, <laughs> if this is your first time listening to us, welcome. New episodes of the Mothership drop every Friday, and you can subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you like to listen. While you're on Apple Podcasts, we might send you a hoagie from Wawa if you could write a quick review about the show. Uh, by doing that, you'll help other fans who love nerdy pop culture find us. And as a bonus, we give you a special shout out on the next episode. So try it out. Tell us what you want to see from the show moving forward. It's all upside for you. So, for example, shout out to our listener, Hambone XX7. That's a dope name, by the way. He said he or she, they say great, great quick podcast. This is a good, quick weekly review covering a broad array of new nerdy content and entertainment. Thank you, Hambone. You are awesome. See, this is what happens when you give reviews. It's great. And maybe you'll get a hoagie in the mail. I don't know. Um, but anyway, try it out. Tell us what you want to see from the show moving forward. It's all upside for you. Don't forget, along with leaving a review, you can get in touch with us on Twitter. We're at Mothership Pod, or you can email MothershipPod at usatoday.com. On to the main topic. Here's a clip. From the very beginning, I realized I saw the world differently than everyone else. That didn't sit well with some people. I wasn't for everyone. I guess they were always scared that I'd be a psycho. <laughs> but a new day brings new opportunities. And I was ready to make a statement. the same girl i am woman hear me roar that was from cruella the new movie starring emma stone as a younger version of the classic disney villainess with cinemas back up and running it looks like we'll actually have a summer movie season for the first time in two years i know and it starts this weekend not only cruella though but the anticipated a quiet place part two horror sequel we're going to talk those two, plus our favorite Memorial Day releases from yesteryear. Um, let's start with Cruella, because I know you've seen it. Twice. Real quick, what did you... Twice? That... Okay. 
intentionally like you intentionally yes okay it wasn't like you were doing it for work purposes um well, no it was it was i did it one time for work purposes um and then i watched it again because I, I loved it well there we go tell tell us why uh it's it's not what you're expecting i mean i you know it's it's like it's the coolest disney film in forever like i don't like you know other than like you know take out star wars take out disney i don't know if there's been a like a cool disney film like this in a while because it's it's dark it kind of like likes to be dark you know and it, it it's all you know it's it's obviously reinventing this this classic disney character who is known for like killing puppies and stealing them stealing them and killing them for their you know to put to skin them for their furs for you know to put on her, her her wardrobe um so you know starting there you're like well how are you gonna reinvent why do you why are you even bringing her back because she you know for some reason she's like becomes like pop culture icon over over the years since 1961 when in the original 101 dalmatians you know she's in she's in uh, theme parks with Mickey and Goofy. You know she's on Hot Topic T-shirts. She's on Funko Pops, and this is before there was like a movie. You know Emma Stone's playing her in the movie, so she has hung around in the in the you know the culture space for decades for some unknown reason. You know you wouldn't think like a puppy killing Disney character would do all that, but here here we are. And but so what what's really interesting about the movie is. Emma Stone plays her as like this young, you know, up and coming fashion designer in 1970s London. So you can have like a lot of cool music, a lot of great fashion. And I'm like the least fashionable guy of all time. And I'm sitting here like these things are stunning. You know, these are awesome like designs and uh, ensembles and things. Um, but it's it, but it's really interesting how Emma Stone plays her. She plays her as like somebody who, you know, she's tra- you know, she's repressed this side of herself, this creative slightly dark side of herself since since childhood because you know her mom told her to she her mom wants her to fit in because she's got you know the black and white distinctive hair that she has that's natural so you know she's kind of an outsider um and a misfit although you know spirited though she is and and you know so, you know, she tried to fit in and yet she gets to the point where, you know, she learns something bad. You know, she, she starts working for this this fashion icon, play, you know, played by Emma Thompson. She's really cruel. She throws like cucumbers at her staff. Um, she's just me. She's just me. Yeah, she's like as bad as Cruella. She's like, you know, this woman's even worse at all times. And, and, you know, Emma Stone's character has to figure out, Estella has to, you know, she, she, beca- she lets Corolla back out and, you know, there's different dark, dark degrees that she goes through over the course of the movie. And she kind of has to figure out like what, you know, not only kind of what kind of person it, she is, but how dark she, you know, she wants to be, what kind of Corolla does she be? Is she going to be, you know, the person we all know from the 61 movie or something different than that? And it's all psychological in nature, and it's really it's really well done, and it's and it moves. It's it's got like cool references. It just it's it's just a really neat movie that you're not really expecting, and and I, I was really impressed by it because I'm like, you know, Disney's gonna just you know botch this thing, but like they did a really good job. And, and Malefic- Maleficent, I also you know I was one of those ones where like, eh. You know, how are you going to redo this with Angelina Jolie? And that worked, but this work works even better somehow. Um, so I, I was just really impressed with it. I, it's interesting because they've done several of these live action Disney kind of remakes, and it feels like the ones that 
are the most out of left field have been the ones that have been the most successful. I feel, you know, they're, they seem to have had a run the last three or four where it almost feels like a carbon copy of the animated movie and mm-hmm. they just put real people in it. Like Aladdin is the most recent example that comes off the top of my head. Um, totally. Do you think with how Cruella is, are we going to see more of this? Are they going to try more of these kind of out of left field hits or because it seems like those are the ones that just do the best. I think with a character like Cruella, who is kind of, she is an anomaly because she is not Mickey or Goofy. She is like, you know, she's this character we saw for like, you know, a handful of scenes and one movie in 1961. And she was like bad to the bone and, you know, horrible. And she got her comeuppance and, you know, that's the end of her. And but, you know, but she stuck around for a long time. We never got to know who she was. So I think you can create a movie out of that, uh, that because you can do something refreshing. You can do something new because you don't have all this like baggage that would come with like doing, you know, you know, a Mickey Mouse movie or a goofy movie or or even a cinderella movie like you know you can't redo cinderella too far or it's does not cinderella anymore you know there's been no cruella movie she was just a supporting character this one time so you could create something like totally new and and reinvent her for another generation and play you know and interestingly play into the fact of like how she has this reputation but then you know but, you know, is it a media narrative or is she really just this evil um, in an interesting way? So and I and I just, you know, if they can if they can do this a lot, you know, with characters, that's cool. But I don't I just don't know if they have any characters they can do that with. I, you know, I think they, they did that with Maleficent because, again, she was she was a supporting character in another movie where they just kind of re they what they did for that, though. You know, they took Sleeping Beauty and just kind of re did it a little bit. So it was essentially a lot of the same movie and story beats and certain things like, as a prequel, but with this character, you gain to know this character. Cruella, they took more, more um, editorial license with, but I don't think they have a lot of characters that they can do that with without it, without it, you know, breaking the brand, if you will. So I, I think they will try, but I don't, I don't know how, I don't know how good it'll be sometimes. Mm -hmm. So the other big movie that's coming out too is A Quiet Place Part 2. I've seen some of the trailers for it and it's funny because I remember the first one was very mysterious and then this one, I feel like it's The Last of Us or The Walking Dead or something like that. Um, What's your kind of perspective on the movie? Well, let let me tell you you a story. So this was the first time I went to a theater in 438 days. Really? Yes. It was my first first press screening or, you know, screening back. Um... I was by myself in like this big Dolby house. It was, it was, and I mean, I like, so you were in your own quiet place. I was in my own quiet place. And honestly, it's like one of the only places to see a movie like this, because I remember seeing a, the first quiet place, like with a crowd of people and it drove me nuts because so much, you know, the whole, thing the whole premise of the movie is about you know people trying to stay as quiet as possible in a world where they're hunted by these alien monsters that are blind and have super supercharged hearing and you know they hunt by things that make noise and when you're surrounded by people with candy and popcorn it can get a little annoying so i, I was lucky enough to see it like 
you know how a lot of people probably won't be able to in this in a, in a movie theater by myself um but it was i mean it was so worth it because it was i i hadn't been you know i hadn't really missed the big screen experience that much because i got so used to watching things on my laptop or on a tv and i was i was all fine doing that but um but man, it was good being back in a the movie theater. I mean, I, I, it was just awesome. Uh, but the movie was good too. You know, I, it's not as good as the first one because I think the first one was so innovative um, in terms of how it used sound and you know its sound design. And even though it kind of it kind of still you know it borrowed a lot of stuff from like the kind of the alien style claustrophobia in a lot of ways. You know, so some of it was familiar. It was used in an innovative way. Whereas this one, like you said, is kind of more or like The Last of Us or Walking Dead, where you know it's not all it's not all like one family trying to stay alive at their farm. They're actually like going out into the world and trying to you know after tragedy hits, they're trying to figure out how they're gonna survive. You know, in a bigger world, so they meet different people. You know, some good, some bad, um, and it's and it's a more wide open thing. Um, so it, it's it does it. It's kind of familiar there. It's kind of like, but you know, it's interesting because like the first one's kind of like Alien. This one's kind of like Aliens, where um, there's a lot. It's it's more wide open, and there's like more kind of like quote unquote battle sequences. Not as not like it's not like Ripley getting into like a big you know uh, that scaffolding scaffolding tech thing that she does. Oh yeah, beating on aliens. That's not happening. But it's just like there's a you know in the spirit the spirit of it's a little because it's a little bit different. It's a little bit more less it's less claustrophobic and dealing with other people, other personalities involved. So that so that's an interesting aspect of it. Um, but yeah, it's if you like the first one, you like this one. I mean, it's 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 not it's not as good, but it's not like bad either. You know, it, it's it's a good time. Okay. Um, so let's talk Memorial Day because it's obviously Memorial Day weekend and a lot of big movies come out this weekend in part because this is kind of the start of the summer movie season. So let's go with uh, our favorites. Pick one. What is one of your favorite Memorial Day releases that you can remember? Yeah. Well, yeah. Like, well, so, so like. A lot of the a lot of the movie movies that I've released on Warner are like one, some of my favorite movies of all time. Like each of the fir- first three Star Wars films, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Um, we're not Temple of Doom. I don't really like Temple of Doom, but it came out then too. Um, the first couple of Mission Impossible's, I think. Uh, I gotta say, the, my my favorite, just in terms of like just memory wise, is Return of the Jedi because. It was on a Wednesday. It was like because the first showings were on the Wednesday before Memorial Day, and my I think it was Wednesday. It was like you know it was a week because it was like an earlier. It was just it opened a few days early, like in the middle of the week, and my mom took me out of school early to go down to um, to the mall because because she had some work friends who were holding us place in line because we were going to watch like we could only get tickets to like the nine, nine o'clock show on the first day. So we like waited around like in line for a few hours, but like the 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 line wrapped around. I mean, it's not a small mall either. It line wrapped around the mall for Return of the Jedi. It's like you know we don't have that anymore because everybody's got like you know. 
tickets on their phones and stuff like this. But it was just like, it was such a big deal for me because, you know, I was six or no, I was, how old was seven? I was seven years old. I had seen, I had seen Star Wars and, and Empire Strikes Back in the theater by then, but, th- you know, after they had gotten released during re releases and everything. And this was like the first time I had seen a movie on the first day, you know, for you know first day when the early showings it was like you know my favorite thing of all time at that point you know star wars and like it was just it was just so cool i mean i remember getting like pepper pepperidge farm those little you know revenge of the jedi return of the jedi cookies that they had um i had some star wars fit you know after some return of the jedi figures at that point it was just uh, it was something i'll always remember even though it's like the, the showing was at nine and i was super tired <laughs> <laughs> going to the school the next day um but it was just like i like that's one of my favorite all, all-time movie experiences and it's you know and return of the jedi is one of my favorite all-time movies so it's so funny because i you know i i was looking at the list of movies that came out memorial day weekend some of the more successful ones and it's a bummer the only one i think i saw memorial day weekend was x-men the last stand which is a weekend i'd probably like to take back immediately because <laughs> that movie was so dreadful <laughs> Ugh. But um, garbage. So I don't know. I, you know, I there. I like you said, there were a ton of really good movies and a lot of my favorite movies that were released, like the Star Wars films. The one that stood out to me that's always been one of my favorites that I didn't realize was actually released on Memorial Day weekend was Beverly Hills Cop Two, um, which I is well, first off, it's my favorite Beverly Hills Cop movie of all three, and then also, um, it was one of my first introductions to Eddie Murphy. I'd never really heard of Eddie Murphy until. I was like 10 or 11 and I go see H you know, I, I think uh, either a neighbor or somebody at HBO and Beverly Hills Cop of two was on. So it's probably like 12 or 13. And I remember watching it the first time. And I thought Eddie Murphy was hilarious and I love, you know, everything he did was great. And this was right around, I think coming to America, maybe it just come out to theaters or it was just out too. So um, I have fond memories of Beverly Hills Cop two. I always love that movie. It's that one rare movie where it's like, you know, anytime it's on, you're going to sit and watch it. Um, so yeah, that's probably my pick. A lot of action movies usually. Unfortunately, like I said, X Men was the one that I had to see in the theater, so I'm deeply regretting it. So Beverly Hills Cop two was it R? Uh, I think it was. And yes, I I, I may have I may. <laughs> I was about to say. I'm like, should you've gone? To I didn't go to a theater though. I was. This was like right after uh, okay. it came out. So, um, yeah. Uh, okay. You're talking to someone who snuck as a kid and saw Poltergeist, and that was a big mistake. So that was not fun for for <laughs> dreams and sleep and all that fun stuff. Not good. Um, right. So, so yeah. Um, but hey, guess what? It's Memorial Day weekend, and we've got a special Memorial Day gift because. Let's gather around the Memorial Day tree and share gifts. Um, well, we have a special guest, Corella director Craig Gillespie. Brian had a chat with the filmmaker who also directed I, Tanya, And he talked about the new project and taking on the reinvention of a classic villain. Let's listen. Good talking to you again. I, we haven't talked since I, Tanya. I know. It's, it's time flies, huh? It does. <laughs> Especially in 2020. Yeah, it just slows down. I know. It's nice to to be talking. It's nice to be uh, out and about a little bit. Yeah, yeah. We're all soon going to be out and about, it it sounds like, (laughs) whether we like it or not. Um, So, you know, the krill we've met before orders people to steal and kill, you know, puppies and skin them for their fur. Where do you, as a filmmaker, where do you even start in making that person a palatable protagonist in 2020, 2021? It, it actually, it was, uh, it was, 
the real the real hook of this and the thing that got me involved i mean the thing that got me involved was emma stone and mm-hmm. playing corella in 1970s london but right. then we were trying to figure out how to humanize her there was something that i felt that was very appropriate which is that she's kind of she has this talent and it's and and she's she's rebellious with it and and fiercely like protective of it but she's it's squandered in her it's squashed in her as a child like she's told that she has to play within the lines and do everything by the rules and she's just it's just not where her strength is and until she really follows her true strength and her true like passion and she owns who she is that's when she really blossoms and unfortunately she's gone through various traumas and and trials to get to there so it's a bit of a, a complicated bag when she fully fully invests in that but that's where she really finds herself when she like stays true to herself and i love that message in the film well also she, you know she had you know it doesn't it doesn't mess around in the fact of like she has a chance to be the corella we know you know, she ha- totally has that chance and she like, she's flirts with it, but yeah. you know, and I, and I think that's kind of the interesting thing about this is because it's not all like, it's not all one way, you know, she has to make the determination for herself. What kind what kind of person she wants to be. And as if, you know, can Estella and Cruella be kind of the same person? I know that was the amazing thing with uh, Emma Stone's performance because she's not playing one Cruella. Right. And uh, it was a very nuanced thing that we had to work through where, you know, the beginning of it, when you see her in the red dress, she's playing another character. We see her play a bunch of characters in the film. She hasn't formulated that as Corella yet. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. literally happening in the moment. Then she goes through this traumatic beat that almost like she has this bit of a breakdown and becomes a very dark Corella mm-hmm. uh, that sort of alienates everybody. And then she has to reconcile that and make that choice of like that balance so she she does this beautiful job of doing all of those nuances throughout the second half of the film. So you know this this character's been around since sixty one. You know, I mean, even before then in the books, but like yeah. you know, she has kind of taken on a life of her own in pop culture. She's Crazy. a character alongside like Goofy and Mickey in Disney World. You know, kind of what is it about her inherently though that people love? You know, not even before they watch this movie. You know, what is it about this this character that just appeals to people it's funny right she said very little real estate to own that much no, not at all. <laughs> i mean she's got like like a half a dozen scenes in 101 donations you know it's uh i think it's like just people love villains to start with and then she's got she does it with such flair and humor mm-hmm. and she got such a she's got such a great delivery and tone to to the to the way she portrays it and then uh i think that's it's like to be able to be like sort of devious with humor and sort of and, and unapologetic, I think, is something that people enjoy. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, we last talked for Tanya, which is another tale digging into a personality that, you know, whether she is a villain or not, you know, kind of we'll never know it. But it probably depends on your, your perspective and real life and everything. But she was definitely villainized by people. Did yes. you see some carryover between Tanya and Cruella? I, I, I like in, in some, absolutely. And so I'm always attracted to the outsider. It seems I'm doing a lot of, seems to be a lot of the themes in my work. And again, it's like, and not to do the pun, but it's like, it's just not black and white. It's like, I, I wanted to be able to track her journey and track her story. And she does go to the dark side, you know, to, to different degrees throughout the film. And it's not that I want the audience to, to like root for that, but I want them to empathize and understand her choices. And I think that becomes really interesting when you 
you can understand why they're making those choices. Well, I think having the bareness around too is interesting because, you know, it seems like a lot of the old Cruella bad habits are kind of in her. So, yeah. you know, obviously, you know, she, you know, the bareness plays a role in how, you know, how she becomes this person, but it's interesting kind of like as, you know, quote unquote, bad as Cruella is, the bareness is always going to be a little bit worse. And you have, you know, it's, you know, and it's kind of like the appeal of her too. It's just like, you have somebody always a little bit worse than Cruella is. No. And the nice thing with that is it, it gives more freedom to what Cruella can do because the worse mm-hmm. the Baroness is, the more we want to see Cruella push back. Right. So it's nice to have that dynamic. Well, it's very self-aware too, you know, it, it, it's, you know, cause the whole dog thing with Cruella, she loves dogs. But so does the Baroness in her own, you know, weird way. And it's interesting, kind of like it's very self-aware and kind of like the whole dog thing, because, you know, Corella even it's the movie's very, very well aware of her reputation in a greater sense of things and does something with that in a really interesting way. So even if you like have you don't know much about that character, if you know, like the bear specifics you've we've woven that into a, a way that's part of her story and in a, in a way that moves her story along. No, it was some great writing there. And I think, uh, again, we're trying to figure out how, how do we deal with the fact that she's a puppy killer. Right. And, uh, and, you know, ultimately the idea of like, like owning what people want you to be and using it to your advantage was just a great spin on that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought that it was a nice, a nice way to, to keep that reputation going. Right. This is probably the coolest Disney film I've seen in forever because they usually <laughs> like just aren't forever. this cool. <laughs> um, did you see a chance with this cast of characters and the fashion and the music that, you know, and the, you mentioned 1970s London. Did you see a chance to be like, okay, this is a Disney film, but I'm going to make this the coolest freaking film I can make. Uh, yes. Whether absolutely. Mickey Mouse is behind it or not. Absolutely. I think it's like, and I love the, you know, the Disney films and I think what, the, the chance we got to have, because again, we have a little more leeway, obviously dealing with villains mm-hmm. and all my production heads. And I brought like Nicholas Coutts Katanas, who I did Itanya with and Fiona Crombie came in and she did the favorite with Emma. So I had a very indie flavor to what was going on. And, you know, Jenny Bevan who's done a million things is formidable in that sense, but she'd come off of Mad Max Fury Road. It wasn't exactly the arsenal that you'd expect for a Disney film. Mm-hmm. And, um, and with all my production heads, I would be like, we're not making a Disney film. So don't think of it like that. We're making a coming of age, 1970s punk <laughs> story in London, kind of indie. I mean, we really approached it like an indie film with the energy and the camera work and the pace of an indie film. We did 2,700 setups in 65 days. It was just like flying and it was loose and the cat actors had room to play and spar and it was really fun, but we just, we gave it that energy. Totally. And I feel like, you know, the only thing that was missing was like the four letter words that were probably a lot more part of 1970s London than here. But it's just like, that's like, if you're going to get rid of like maybe just one thing and keep everything else, that's probably, you know, that's okay. Yeah, I know. It's, it would have been nice to, like, I guess I, I feel remiss now. I think we're allowed to get one in the PG 13. <laughs> right. <laughs> I dropped yeah. the ball there. <laughs> you know, is that, you know, in, in approaching a villain story, you know, cause that's, you know, you, with Itania, but, you know, also Maleficent, you know, Mal- you know, obviously the Disney villains have their own kind of like sp- popular space and Maleficent, you know, also kind of retold her story and, you know, as a sympathetic character as well. 
and even like Joker to a certain degree was a sympathetic origin story. Do you feel like there's certain for certain villains that lend themselves to that, but then certain villains that don't? And it's just like no, I think people have to figure out which way which one you go to. You know, you have to like pick and choose depending on the. Villain. I don't know. I think I think uh, human beings are complicated, and I think for the most part, it's good people doing bad things. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and there's there's always there's always a a set of circumstances and situations that have arrived that person to make those choices. And, and a lot of times with villains, they don't think they're making the wrong choice. They think they're doing the right thing. Yeah. They hear their own story. Yeah. Yeah. For whatever their motivation is. So I think it's a, I think it's great to be able to walk in those shoes and just empathize with that hardship or what sculpted that person to be the character that they ended up being, whether it's as a warning sign or as like, or just as a, just a greater understanding in terms of the, like the life experience yeah, in terms of the fashion, because there are so many, you know, there are so many get-ups that, that Corella wears it's and the Baroness wears for you. Was that just like, just madness? Did, were you, were you going a little mad yeah. just trying to keep them all together? It was the most st- stressful and time consuming part of the production <laughs> was for, on so many levels, because it's like also because we're portraying two, you know, fashion icons here so, mm-hmm. for the audience. I know the audience is going to be hypercritical of what their fashion lines are. So mm-hmm. when she does her fashion show, it's got to it's got to be believable. And that's where I thought we could lose the audience. So I put so I, the endless amount of images I would send to Jamie, Jenny Bevan of like walking around London in different shops and be like, what about this outfit? What about this? What if we did something like this? And, and then just like trying to figure out what that would be that felt like it was still from the seventies, but felt fresh and new and current. Uh, it was sort of the biggest stress for me. We actually ended up pushing the fashion show to the last week. Oh, just really? To, just to get time for Jenny to get it all figured out. Cause she had so much wardrobe in this. Right. I mean, it was just staggering what she got through. I mean, you know, there was, I think five galas with 400 outfits and it was just, wow. uh, it was endless. I mean, there were, it was, there were times that there was a couple of times where I saw an outfit for the first time and we like on the on day the, on the day on the day oh my god <laughs> it's so much going on and it's you come out and be like well it looks great i just like, sure I, do it <laughs> <laughs> i hadn't seen it yet but wow it's a statement you know, particularly with the baroness <laughs> right so did you did you go to i mean had you ever been to a fashion store or did you go to any just no. to figure out how to film one <laughs> no, funnily enough, uh, I, I watched a lot of stuff. I mean, Alexander McQueen, his documentary was a huge inspiration mm-hmm. for me in terms of the rebellious nature of him and his work with Corella. Right. But obviously it's a different time period, but, uh, you know, there's Vivian Westwood and, and that era as well. So, but just the attitude of McQueen, I felt like felt very appropriate to Corella. Mm-hmm. And uh, so looking at his work and then, I just this there was this very like rebel punk way that she did all her shows, which you know lent itself to maybe not being classically fashion. It's like you know we shot it all like mostly handheld outside there at night at that fountain for that fashion show, and it's a you know with some very aggressive camera work and lighting, and it was sort of just a lot to do with Nicholas Cascantanis and his uh, his work as well. It's like the handheld work in there and the lighting is just amazing. Your boy, if you ever do have to do another one, you know, you, you know what to do now. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I got, I got thousands of images on my laptop. I can, I can now delete. Oh, yeah. It'll, it'll free up a lot of space. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, sir, for taking time. I appreciate it. Thank you. It was nice to talk to you again, Brian. Good, to you. Good luck with it. Thank you. Bye.
Okay, listeners, it's your turn. What are you doing this Memorial Day weekend? Are you planning to see Cruella? Are you going to go to an actual movie theater for Memorial Day weekend? Let's talk about it on Twitter. You can find us at Mothership Pod, or you can tweet at us individually. I'm at Brett Molina23. I'm at Brian Truitt. And don't forget, you can email us too. We're at MothershipPod at USAToday.com. That'll do it this week. Thanks so much for listening. Special shout out to our pilot slash producer of the Mothership, Adam Fish. If you like the podcast and don't want to miss an episode moving forward, you can subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts. And don't forget, while you're there, leave a rating or a review. Like our good listener, Hambone, helps other people find the show and we get great feedback. If Apple Podcasts isn't your jam, you can also find us on Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere you get your podcasts. Until next week, happy Memorial Day and nerds out. Later. Later.